He's pursuing us. I feel like sometimes, though, and even in, in this COVID time, I mean, I've heard so many of us as TGP members talking about how uh, even, if, even though God is running after us in the middle of this, like there's so many advantages that, that God has given us and so many beautiful uh, things that God has redeemed as a result of this that we're still running away. It's like he's running after us and we're running away instead of running to him uh, and pursuing him and, and, ta- and, and seeing the beauty of that, that in the middle of a, of a pandemic that God is wanting to make himself more real to us than, than he ever has been before. And that some of us are not taking advantage of that. And I, I just want to uh, admonish us again as Gavin Place members that we, we know this about God. That we wouldn't be pursuing him if he wasn't pursuing us first. But, but we need to know that and go after him. Uh, while we have the time, before this pandemic is over and we're back to nor- what, we, what is normal for us. Uh, while most of us have time. Uh, man, let's just get personal with God. Let's really pursue him. Let's really dig into our relationship with God. Uh, and so I, I just want to thank Kobe for that, man. It was sweet being here today. There's a real sweetness also about being in my house and worshiping uh, with Kobe on, the, on Facebook Live. And I appreciate the efforts that uh, both Kobe and uh, Will have made for us to continue to hear the word of the Lord and to worship together. And I just want to take a second also just to... Uh, just to, just to make a point for us to hear about our pastor. Um, you know, when I, when I stepped into a new position as church planter slash whatever the heck I'm doing, uh, that's the title, by the way. <laughs> church, yeah, church planter and whatever the heck I'm doing person. Um, you know, I, I knew that, that, we, that we were in good hands when, when I asked, or we asked Will, to begin to speak and preach and, and share, really, more than that, share the message that God would have for our body. Um, I trusted that, and all the elders did, and, and we did as a church when we asked him to step into this role, but I want to take a second just to, to say some things that I didn't realize. Like, you know, when I, was, when I stepped out and he stepped in, I was thinking, there was a part of me that was thinking, I wonder, I wonder if he's going to go at this with the same kind of drive that that's in me if he's going to go after it with the same kind of um, care you know uh, to, to really carefully go after what God's word is for the body and I've already shared this with the elders and I don't have any problem sharing it uh, with the congregation with our people that I really doubted when he said Ecclesiastes I thought oh gosh come on Ecclesiastes really and I just want to confess, first of all, that that doubt was unfounded uh, because God has given us what we need. Amen? Isn't that right? Y'all with me? <laughs> I mean, everything that, that, that we needed right now has been found not only in the book, but in the applications that Will has made. And I just appreciate so much the Spirit of God being able to move through him. And instead of him running away, him running to God and, and, and seeking God out in the time that he has and, and digging into these messages. Uh, we are blessed. We are blessed to have Russ set this thing up for us, to give us the background and, and the history behind this study, to, to get us started on this, and then to watch how, how God has taken Will's messages in his heart and has given us exactly what we need. And so I hope you are applying all of that. I hope you're taking all of these 
things and putting them into, into place. Because I really believe the message that God has for us overall at this season of our church is that it's all vanity unless we are pursuing God, unless he is the one leading, unless he's the one guiding. And the things that we're doing are ultimately about eternity and the kingdom of God and not about the now and not about you know, what happens to us and what we sacrifice or what we lose in the moment. And, and God had to get our attention and he, he's gotten my attention. I hope he's gotten all of our attention. Uh, and this has been a beautiful way for him to do it, is to allow this pandemic that came because of the sin of man, because sin is in the world, and so is disease because of sin. And we're having, having to face this, and we may face it again. But God is using it and wants to continue to use it in our lives. So thank you, Will, for being faithful to his word. Uh, each week and, and sharing that message. Now, it's my turn today because Will wanted me to. I don't know why, but I think he wanted a two, he said a two-hour message is what you, so uh, we don't have any snacks or anything, so you just have to tough it out. I hadn't preached in about a long time. The Felteril has, has snacks. Do you have some, but we have some, uh, we can spray those snacks down with Lysol. Um, no, I'm, I'm going to try to honor our normal time, <laughs> which is going to be really tough. But last week, uh, Will was, uh, opened up uh, Ecclesiastes chapter 4 and did such a great job talking to us about the fact that living in community allows us to see and respond to oppression that's around us and, uh, and to suffer with others. And I thought he did a great job uh, as he spoke about us, each of us considering, and I've been considering and praying uh, and, and asking God to enlighten, open my eyes and enlighten my mind to see a one, a somebody, uh, a new somebody in my life that I can make a difference in. I imagine that the preacher in the text, uh, I imagine, don't know this for sure, but being a son of David uh, might have been remembering what it looked like to sit around the table in the palace uh, where there were certainly lots of royal guests that would visit men of power and watching how those men uh, probably abused and oppressed those who were serving them. But then around the table was also a cripple that you may not remember, may or may not remember. We don't know if this was Solomon or not, but we know it was one of David's sons because the text tells us that. That he, he regularly sat around the table and saw all of these men of power and wealth and how they treated people. And then he saw Mephibosheth sitting at the table of the king, a son of the enemy of David, his father. A man after God's heart who invited Mephibosheth, an oppressed person who rightfully should have been killed, invited him into the palace to live and to eat. As I thought about that this past week, I thought, man, what a disparity in the way that this person should have been treated in the way that he was. And what a disparity between the way these men of power were treating their, their servants and the way that David, a man after God's heart, was treating his enemy's son. I think moments change everything. Will talked about this last week. You know, those moments that come up, that's what we're looking for. We're talking about about noticing and looking into the eyes of the oppressed around us, we're looking at moments. There are some moments that God has designated for us. And as we, as Will challenged us last week to do, as we continue to, 
to keep our eyes open. God brings those moments. For David, a moment came when he got to make a choice about what he would do with Mephibosheth. My mind also went back to our study in Acts chapter 3 last week. When these, we looked at being in community together, as Will said, living in community allows us to see the oppressed and to do something about it. That when the community came together in the book of Acts, the very first day after the Holy Spirit fills them and they're moving and working and living their lives in, in communion with the Holy Spirit, abiding in the Spirit moment by moment and doing what the Spirit leads, that, that the very next day, Peter and John are going to the temple and there's a, there's a beggar who's been crippled from birth. And he asks them for money. And the scripture says that Peter and John, when he asked for money, that they directed their gaze at him. They didn't look away like we were told not to do last week, right? They didn't look away. They looked, they directed their gaze at him, looked him in the eyes because they had something to offer him. They had Jesus, first of all, and then they had communion with them and healing to offer this man. Moments like that change everything. So how we love one another, I think, speaks about, uh, as Will said last week, how we love God. But let me just turn that around. Uh, Will closed out last week by saying this too, that, and, and I've said this over and over again during the pandemic as God's given me uh, promptings to put things on Facebook, which I very rarely do, is that our love for God ultimately is what we need to work on. We don't need to work on our love for others. Our love for others is going to be the fruit of our love for God. If we have problems loving the oppressed and anybody that's around us, if we have problems loving others, the problem is not that we don't know we're supposed to love others. And it's certainly not something that we can draw from within ourselves. The secret to loving others is knowing God. In 1 John chapter 4, verses 7 through 12, this is what it says. Beloved, let us love one another. For love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought also to love one another. No one's ever seen God, but if we love one another, God abides in us. We like that word around here. And his love is perfected in us. Here's what that, that passage is saying. We were challenged last week to love. I've been challenged. But that's, this passage is saying there's two qualifications for us to be able to love others with a selfless kind of love that's, that's going to take. God cares about why we love. He doesn't want us to, to give expressions of love that don't come from our hearts. He wants our hearts to legitimately love people and then express that whether they be oppressed or not. And here's where it comes from. We've got to be born of God, number one. And number two, we have to know God. Being born of God means that we're, we have received Christ in our lives. But knowing God comes by experience through obedience as we continue to abide in him. And so Will challenged us last week. I received a challenge. I hope you did too. That as God puts people in our path, that, 
that the only way we're going to be able to love those people that are oppressed is if we love God, if we know God, if we're born of God and know Him by experience through obedience. In the story in Acts, look at verse 8 at what happened after this man receives healing. It says, and leaping up, he stood and began to walk, and he entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. He praised God, but he also went into the temple with them. And we're inviting people, yes, to the oppressed. We want the, the oppressed to hear the message of Christ first, to hear the story of healing. But then we also want to invite them to be in community with us. We want to give this neighborhood and the oppressed people that God brings into each of our lives Jesus first. And then an invitation to walk in community with us. I'm I'm challenged and I'm praying for eyes to see the people that God would have for me to engage with and I hope you are too. Ecclesiastes chapter 4 is our text today. It's going to be quick, I hope. Verses 4 through 6, pick up where Will left off. We're not going to cover much more. Three verses. It says in verse 4, Then I saw that all toil and all skill and work come from a man's envy of his neighbor. This also is vanity and a striving after the wind. The fool folds his hands and eats his own flesh. Better is a handful of quietness than two hands full of toil and a striving after the wind. So also in the palace of a king, I'm sure, there were people who were seen to be envying those in power and those in position and those who had some, some type of status and the approval of the masses. And I don't believe that the preacher is saying that there's anything wrong with that, with wealth or with, with money or status, uh, high positions, or not even, even the, the masses, uh, the, the approval of the masses of people. Because David was a man after God's own heart. The preacher's father, he saw it daily, a man after God's own heart who certainly was not pursuing these things or envious of anybody, but he possessed all these things. So the possession of wealth and position and status and approval of people is not something, there's nothing wrong with that. But the preacher is noticing the motive behind the pursuit of these things. So three points today. The first one is this, it matters why we toil and work. It matters why we toil and work. The preacher noticed that all toil and work comes from a man's envy of his neighbor. Envy, envy for time, envy for position, envy for money, envy for possessions. The preacher says that allowing envy to drive out toil and work or allowing envy to be the thing that drives our toil and work is vanity. He sees the little guys doing whatever is necessary to take the next step up the ladder to try and get something more out of life. The kinds of things that we've been talking about are vanity to pursue and, and go after. I found something interesting, interesting uh, re- related to ancient Hebrew social hierarchy. I want to just show this slide and and just kind of make my point. Here's, here's the most important person in the social hierarchy to the least important. The least important being slaves, the most important being men of rank and influence. 
and working their way up the ladder. So basically what the preacher is saying is as he looks around and he sees men toiling and working, he sees the motive behind that as being an envy for those who are in the next class above them. So that a slave would, would want to be uh, a resident if they were not a Hebrew. And most Hebrews, most slaves were not Hebrews. And that the next would be that they would, uh, that they would be civilized Hebrews or common Hebrews. And they would work their way up the ladder to, to positions of, of officers and religious leaders and ultimately kings. Everybody wants something more. As a TGP preacher, when I look around, I see the same thing in our own city. I see the same thing in our church. I see, see the same thing among us. That, that we've almost, not almost, we absolutely have deified the things that work and earnings can give us. I don't use the term deify lightly either. I, I believe that our actions show that we've made gods, little gods, out of the things that we see in the lives of people around us. And we'll sacrifice all the time uh, that we would normally give God and family and church and the oppressed to achieve those things. I believe that's what the preacher saw when he looked around. And I, I see it too. I hope you do. I think you do. We don't need to look very far, but just look into our own lives today and try and figure out, is this something inside of us? I think we've generalized it. This, this envy and this pursuit in such a way that it, it, it feels better. We call it the American dream. The American dream is literally comparing ourselves with others, with our American neighbors, and setting a base level kind of a, a standard of what all of us should have, should possess. The American dream is vanity, point number two. <laughs> the American dream is vanity. Listen, our, our friends, we don't like it because our friends are able to own things we don't own. You know, nowadays it's mostly technology. When new technology comes out, everybody's got to own one, right? We've got to spend the thousands of dollars it takes to get the new technology. But we want to own the things that our friends own, so we'll do whatever's necessary. It's what drives our work is that we can have the next stuff, more stuff, better technology, better possessions, bigger toys. Stuff to put in our house, stuff that we can play with, stuff that can steal away our time. When I was working at Louisiana College a lot of years ago, I was reminded of this by a friend of mine, by the way, uh, through social media during the pandemic. This, this, is this guy. There was a student that came to my office who was desperately wanting to pursue God and just would not take the time to do it because of his Nintendo. He just could not discipline himself to not use the Nintendo. So finally, when he had enough of it, he brought the Nintendo to my office and said, would you lock this somewhere in your office? And I did. That's the way a lot of technology, a lot of possessions do to us. They're great to have, okay? There's nothing wrong with owning possessions, but when possessions own us, there's problems. When that's the reason why we're spending all of our time working and all of our energy and all of our, that's the place that we're spending all of our money and we're pursuing that. I believe that's what the preacher saw when he looked around and saw men who were under someone else trying desperately to, to own the things that they own, to have the, the possessions that they had. Another thing is, is uh, going places we can't go. We look around us, we see people 
able to go places that we don't go. We don't get to go because we don't have the, the money or the time to do it. Elaborate vacations like the one we just had. People, people look at each other and say, I want to be able to go to exotic places. I want to be able to, not that Gatlinburg is that exotic. We want to be able to go places. We want to be able to do, do those things that people are, are, that have money are able to do. And we look at our bosses or the per, person up above us that has more vacation time, is able to go and, and do those things, more money to be able to spend to do those things and go places. You know, I joke about our vacations, but I got to tell you this story because last year, our finances were in a different place than they are today uh, for whatever reason. We, we were not able to, we didn't have the money that we have now. And we can just decided that, that in order to help the church continue to move forward, that we would, uh, we would not take salary if, at certain times if we didn't need it. And it Thankfully, there were only a few times that that didn't happen, but we had to kind of keep that available. And so uh, we decided that we were going to take a vacation, but it would be a very cheap vacation on our motorcycle. Well, what happened is the Lord provided uh, a a free vacation. And and I didn't ask for it. The Lord just gave it to us. Someone came and offered uh, a week in a a house in Colorado outside of Breckenridge along a, a beautiful stream where we can invite a couple of families to go with us, and, um, and it was free. Um, wow. I mean, God's able to provide, and he did provide. But I have spent way too much money and way too much time striving to be in the position where I can have vacations that other people don't have. And I wonder where you are with that. And, you know, other things are, you know, time, is, is huge. It's probably the thing that's most valuable to us. We want to have more time, more time. And if we can rise up in the ladder, we envy those people that have time because they have more vacation days, more vacation weeks. They can spend time doing what they want to do. And, and we envy people with time. We want more time off and we can spend time doing what we want to do. And it's vanity if time isn't spent doing the things that are eternal. It's vanity if money isn't spent doing the things that are eternal. It's vanity if we keep striving and working hard to try and rise up to the next position and be like our neighbors and and achieve the American dream if it's not for the sake of eternity and for the kingdom of God. Y'all with me? And so we fight and chew and claw and grovel and beg and do all that we have to do to make our way up the chain to get whatever we can get. The American dream is vanity. As I've been able to travel and uh, plant churches in, in countries where people are not as blessed as we are, poorer countries, it, it always amazes me that people who, are, who have nothing are so much more content than we are. If they have Christ and they have enough food to eat just to survive, they're, they're happier than we are with all the things that we have, all the time that we have, the jobs that keep us so busy, working all the time, the, the houses that we own, the cars that we own, all the stuff that we have. And they seem to be so content. I'm envious. I'll never forget when I came back, when Will and I came back from Uganda that first time, these people had literally nothing. They didn't even have anything around them that they could put together to make money, to, to buy food. Very, very little. And yet they were so content, so happy. We watched a, a lady who was crippled since birth. 
She couldn't, she couldn't walk. She crawled along the ground. And she had a baby that she would put on her back. And she would literally carry that baby all over the place. And she organized uh, uh, medical, uh, whatever you call it, a, a medical mo- moment for us. <laughs> a clinic where our doctors and nurses can come and spend time with people in the neighborhood. And she was just a smile on her face, happy as she could possibly be, wanting to serve us. Would ch- take her child and throw it, that child on her back and just go. Happy as she could possibly be. And I, I'll never forget that moment. And I think sometimes we need to look around and, and, and see how much our pursuit of what our neighbor has is stealing away from us the joy that we can have and the contentment that we can have from a simpler life. I'm not making that decision. And again, I'm not saying that possessions and time and position is wrong, but I am asking that all of us would ask the Lord during this season, now that we have time, what are we really doing? Have you, have you noticed that the time is, there's, it's, it can be used for something good when you have it? And maybe not, not working so much will allow you to have more time. Maybe not doing so much to try and pursue what everybody else has will allow for that. And then the third point, we need to see the value of quietness. You might be thinking, man, I like being challenged by looking around me and seeing what other people have. It motivates me to work harder. I think a person that doesn't, you might, I mean, I've heard this. I think a person that doesn't aspire to to do more and have some kind of work ethic that's defined by that is a fool. Well, I believe that's what the preacher is addressing in verse 5. This verse seems almost not to apply to the idea of envy, or at least uh, and in, in a number of the commentaries, uh, they all pretty much said that it seems to be out of place, but it seems to me that the preacher is answering those who would call a person that doesn't envy a fool, a person that's not driven by envy to, to toil and work. That, that this is almost a tongue-in-cheek statement where he's saying that that, that guy is a fool. And I think when we look at verse 5 and tie it to, to verse 6, you can see that. So let's, let's look at the two of those together. He says, The fool folds his hands and eats his own flesh. Then he says in verse 6, Better a handful of quietness than two hands full of toil and a striving after the wind. The, the preacher is describing here a lifestyle of someone who is is simplifying life for sure. But I think that calling it a fool, uh, calling him a fool is not in the sense that uh, maybe we see in Proverbs 6 where uh, a man is slothful and foolish and doesn't have because he doesn't ever work or get up. A little sleep, a little rest, a little folding of the hands and poverty comes upon you. But I think he's talking about, I think it's evident in verse 6, he's talking about tranquility and quietness. I believe the preacher's trying to show us that one of the ways that envy is perpetuated is that the culture is constantly making us feel bad about not pursuing the things that everybody else is pursuing. If you, if you slow down a little bit and you don't go after all the things that everybody else goes after, you may just get ridiculed in this culture about, not being, about being slothful, about being lazy, about not having any aspiration or any kind of work ethic, which is why I titled the message today, Work Ethic. 
See, work ethic is not defined by you working and toiling because you envy uh, somebody for what they have and you don't have. I believe work ethic, as it's being described here, is, is a person who's going after what matters in life, who's pursuing the things that, that matter the most and is willing to, to work hard to, to make life into the, uh, to pr- produce the kind of conditions so that they can continue to pursue the things that matter in life. I think it's the ones that are willing to say no to all the other things that people possess. The ones that are willing to say no to, having, to, to, to wanting to rise in position and to have status. And it's interesting to me that David was a man after God's heart. He was a, he was a, a shepherd, not even considered initially by Samuel when he was looking for the next king. A shepherd boy, content to be uh, taking care of his father's sheep. And he's the one that God went after. And he's the one that God blessed. And he's the one that God gave a life of contentment and peace. And he's the one that the preacher was able to see and grow up watching as an example of what it meant to be about the kingdom of God. And so I I just want to encourage all of us to consider that. You know, we, we have an option of why, of, of why we work. We may not have an option for the jobs that we have. You, you know, sometimes uh, the job that you have may not seem to be enough or may not feel like it's the right job. But I would say, as Will has said in every one of these messages, and as we have always said here in every message, that is pursue whatever God has for you. He's running after us. He has a job for you. He has a position for you. And that position is going to make enough money and it's going, to have, it's going to give you the kind of lifestyle that you need in order to enjoy the Lord. Be content with where God has you. Have some work ethic. And the work ethic is this. Take some time to fold your hands. Work hard, but take time to fold your hands. To, to pray, to seek the Lord, to, to spend time with family, to spend time with, with life groups, to spend time with, your, with our church, to spend time with the oppressed in the community and, and the people that God has put around you in your workplace. Spend, take the time to do that. I, I think you are the ones to be envied, the ones that will take that and will just be content with where God has you. As a preacher looked around, he didn't see a whole lot of people that were willing to just be satisfied with where they were. And that all their work was just trying to strive after something else, after the next something. I can tell you as one who's been there and worked hard to try and impress people and to get somewhere and to get a name for myself, that the most miserable I've ever been in my life was when I was in the middle of that. And I can tell you as one who's also followed the Lord into what we're doing now, that the most contented I've ever been in my life has been living in a 399 square foot tiny house on one of our deacons' prop, two of our deacons' property. And serving the Lord and loving the Lord and, and watching God expand the reach of the ministry that he's given me around the world as I'm doing less, spending less time, making less money. God has a, has a plan for us and it's a plan to give us joy and contentment. In John chapter 15, in our abiding passages, Jesus said, I've told you these things, in verse 11. I've told you these things about abiding in me, obeying me, coming to know me by experience through obedience, that my joy might be in you and your joy might be made complete. 
So let's not, again, close our eyes to this facet of our life and just continue to allow ourselves to be, our time and our energy and our money to be stolen away by the things that other people have. The American dream is vanity. And work ethic is working for the kingdom of God. Finding contentment and joy in what God tells us to do. That's work ethic. Let's pray. Father, I thank you that you have continued to challenge us through the book of Ecclesiastes. I thank you for this message today, Lord, about work ethic. I thank you, God, that today as we think about those who have given their lives for our country. Father, so many stories, story after story of men and women who have sacrificed all, not because they were envious of somebody, but because they were determined to do what you called them to do because they had work ethic. And because of them, we're able to enjoy the freedom that we have. Father, as we think about that over the next few days, as we think about those who have given their lives, Father, I pray that you will draw our minds back to what matters in life. That from our hearts, God, that you would motivate us to do what matters. Do what matters for the kingdom of God. To make our investments where they need to be made. And to do it for the right motives. Steal away the sin that's in our hearts, Father. And and replace it with contentment and joy and peace that comes only through abiding in you. In Jesus' name, amen.